Each year, five distinguished Canadian scholars are awarded the Killam Prize for their outstanding research across engineering, the humanities, social sciences, health sciences, and natural sciences. In celebration of these winners' contribution to Canada's society and economy, thefutureeconomy.ca interviewed each of the five researchers to share their discoveries with Canadians. This podcast is part of the futureeconomy.ca series celebrating Canadian research excellence, which is made in partnership with the Canada Council of the Arts and the Killam Trust. Today we're speaking to Ted Sargent, the Vice President International at the University of Toronto and a researcher and university professor in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering. He is also the Canada Research Chair in Nanotechnology and the recipient of the 2020 Killam Prize in Engineering. So congratulations, uh, Killam Prize winner 2020. Uh, what does it mean to you? What is your area of research and what does it mean to the overall uh, Canadian economy? Well, it's a huge thrill to be one of the Killam recipients. It's actually a celebration of the work of a couple of generations of brilliant doctoral students here in engineering at the University of Toronto. And the work that they've done is related to nanotechnology and to renewable energy. So the team over the last decade or so has worked to come up with new strategies to harvest more of the sun's broad spectrum in next generation solar cells Solar cells that can also be flexible, physically flexible. And of course, this is uh, teamwork, I assume, right? It's uh, a prize that you're celebrating with your team. One of the most amazing things about the kind of work that this team has done is how interdisciplinary it is. And so, you know, I sit in an electrical and computer engineering department within my faculty. And of course, some of the people that I work with are engineers or engineering physicists by training. But now we have material scientists. We have people who are trained as chemists. We have people from physics. Now we have students and postdocs from computer science working with us, applying machine learning to accelerate the discovery of new nanomaterials, new solar strategies. So one of the amazing things about getting to work in this area is the privilege of learning something every day from brilliant people who come from incredibly diverse backgrounds. What would you say is the uh, broader impact of your field of research on Canada's future economy? So the work that we do has both an economic and also an environmental impact, and those are deeply tied together in, in our work. Our goal is to try to make solar cells even more ubiquitous, even more widespread than they are. In fact, the solar business has grown at a very uh, quick pace over the last decade. Uh, solar energy started to meet a little bit over 1% of the world's electricity needs a couple of years ago, and it's continuing to grow at a good pace. But one of the key ingredients in continued progress in solar adoption is to continue to reduce the price of solar electricity. That means making solar cells that are more efficient, but that are also at the same time lower in cost. So the work that we do strives to do those two things at the same time. We've taken an approach that allows us to increase the efficiency of the solar cells by harvesting more of the sun's broad spectrum. And we've done it using what we call paintable nanomaterials. So the semiconductors that we use to harvest solar light are actually applied as a liquid. They're applied as a paint in the making of our photovoltaic cells. How competitive would you say Canada is in the development of nanotechnology? So Canada is a pretty amazing place for nanotechnology research. We certainly punch well above our weight. If you look on the global scene and you look at, say, the fraction of human beings on the planet that are Canadian, The number of uh, inventions of important papers that are highly cited that are in the area of nanotechnology and clean energy 
is well above what you would expect. That's a testament to a couple of things. First of all, I think the sort of brilliance and the entrepreneurial spirit of Canadians, their innovative disposition. Um, the fact that Canada is a magnet for talent from around the world. And so by creating a diverse and inclusive environment and one that prizes excellence in science and engineering and research more broadly, we've created a, a set of conditions where people really flock to this country from around the world. People with talents and expertise and with a lot of ambition. Uh, and for that reason, combined with strong investments in science and applied science by um, multiple levels of government within this country, uh, combined with a growing, uh, burgeoning really entrepreneurial sector and innovations from large corporations, we're making significant progress towards making a major dent on some of these really important problems related to clean tech. So Canada isn't necessarily known first and foremost as a renewable energy uh, nation. I think people might think of other areas of our energy sector uh, first. Um, what is the current state of research uh, in solar and more broadly in renewable energy? And what advantages does Canada have above, let's say, others? Well, so Canada actually has been at the frontier of the vanguard of renewable energy for a couple of decades. After all, hydroelectric energy is uh, renewable uh, technology. And um, nuclear, uh, different people will define in different ways, but people at least acknowledge that the carbon dioxide footprint of nuclear technologies uh, is low. And Canada has been a leader in some of those technologies. But renewable is blossoming in all sorts of different directions. For sure, wind, solar is becoming huge. And also the problem of storing renewable energies is increasingly an area of focus for the whole global community. So there are sort of two aspects to being at the vanguard of the field. One is, do you have the renewable resources? Canada clearly does, obviously in hydro, but also when you think of solar, really the biggest issue is having the landmass with good insulation. And Canada does have that. Uh, but the other big, big opportunity in renewable is that it's big business. So traditional energies are about a $5 trillion global sector today. They are a huge fraction of the world's economy. If ultimately the world's economy is going to transition from a fossil-based to a renewables-based economy, well, you can either be part of that or you can be left behind. And the way to be participating in uh, developing the technologies, manufacturing the technologies, and ultimately selling the technologies into the future renewable clean tech economy is to be right at the frontier of developing new intellectual property and commercializing it all on the foundations of outstanding basic research. What do you predict for the development of renewable energy in Canada over the coming years? Well, my prediction is that we will continue to see a decrease in the cost of producing renewable electricity, including from solar. Solar is the most abundant, the most uh, scalable renewable resource that we have. But as we see that progression, we're also going to see major investments in technologies to store that energy. The reason that's so important is that renewable uh, energy sources like solar and wind are also classically intermittent. That means that they come and they go, and they don't come and go at the same time as our demand comes and goes. So we need to find ways to move energy around in time and in space. Moving it around in space, of course, is energy transmission. And moving it around in time is energy storage. Batteries do that very well, but batteries don't do that on the vast scale. Imagine the problem we're trying to solve in Canada. We're trying to move the energy that we received in the summer, and we're trying to move it into the winter. This is what we call seasonal scale storage. 
And this, the community widely believes, needs a chemical approach. Essentially, we need to synthesize fuels, but not fossil fuels now. I'm going to call them renewable fuels instead. We need to synthesize chemicals that we can play back later, say inside a fuel cell, that we can store at a very large scale and that we can move around in time over a long time scale, like the kind of time scale of seasonal or half a year. And my prediction is that Canada, if it continues to make investments and to uh, really double down on those investments, has the chance to be in a leadership position on the development of a clean tech economy that really uh, picks up where the uh, traditional fossil economy left off and overtakes it. So a kind of next generation natural resources technology, but one that's really rooted in uh, science, innovation and engineering, rather than being rooted just in the harvesting of this bountiful natural resources that the nation was very fortunate to have. I'm wondering uh, what you think must be done and by who uh, to improve Canada's ability to commercialize uh, the kind of groundbreaking uh, research uh, that comes out of our universities, for example. Yeah, I think to figure out the path forward for the Canadian innovation economy, we, we need to first acknowledge where we're actually very strong. And then we need to look for a couple of gaps where we have more work to do. Uh, I would say that the quality of the research that goes on at Canadian universities is A+. Uh, the quality of the students from undergraduate through master's through PhD and the postdocs that we attract to this country, an absolute A+. Uh, where this country uh, could stand to make a little bit more progress is really in developing the other elements of the innovation ecosystem. Now, one of those elements is to have a burgeoning startup sector. And we've made huge progress as a country on that front over the last decade. Uh, universities across the country have very vibrant innovation ecosystems. Uh, at U of T, for example, we have 11 different accelerators for our students from engineering, our students from the business school, our students from the faculty of medicine. And we bring them all together through a kind of coordinated entrepreneurship at U of T to have them work on projects together because a project is better done by an engineer and a Rotman School of Management team uh, and a med student all working collaboratively than it is done by any single individual. Now, where we have room to progress is a key part of the innovation ecosystem is not just the small companies, though they're important, it's also the big ones. Uh, in fact, in companies that I've been involved with creating in the past, the way that I got my CEO, my VP R&D, my VP engineering was often to go to big existing companies in the region and to look at who was the general manager for this business unit who was the manager or director of engineering in a large operating company uh, in just a portion of the company. And they would just be a perfect candidate for senior management, senior leadership within the company. And so innovation ecosystems have to mature. They have to progress. We actually need, you know, the term ecosystem is very well chosen. We need the small and the medium sized and the large. And it's all part of the development of the talent pipeline and the creation of something we call a flywheel effect. So you can imagine uh, technology leaders and business leaders from large corporations spinning out into driving a small company forward and the company grows and they grow with it. Or perhaps they return to the large corporation, go back to another position, go back to the entrepreneurial sector in the, in the future. This kind of very dynamic movement of talented scientific and technical labor and management labor is a really key element of a mature and thriving ecosystem and I think we've got a little more work to do as a nation in further developing those elements.
how important is interdisciplinary research and how can we uh, sort of kickstart these kinds of collaborations and structure them so Canada can uh, be more competitive? So one of the most important elements of really innovative research and its translation is generating new ideas and being right at the frontier of new idea generation. Now, I think there's two key elements in doing that that Canada cannot be without. One is the global or the international element, and the other is the interdisciplinary. On the global front, uh, science and engineering and broader technological progress and progress in business, they are part of the global context. And if we were to sort of cut ourselves off from the rest of the world, we would be cutting ourselves off from brilliant ideas, from brilliant inventors and scientists and scholars in other parts of the world. So it's essential that we be part of global networks uh, in order to be part of those conversations and to be at the table. The other thing that's critical for idea generation is to sort of find creative opportunities at the boundaries or at the clashes between different disciplines. Often the first steps here are a bit frustrating. You know, we sit down and we, we talk with a physical chemist and I'm an engineer. And for the first couple of conversations, we're not really understanding each other. Maybe the next set of conversations, we're actually trying to understand each other, teach, teach each other a vocabulary or a mathematics or a set of literature. But then we go into this magical stage where we're generating ideas together. And there are ideas that I wouldn't have generated on my own. And then there are ideas that the physical chemists wouldn't have generated on their own. And that's where the magic happens. But it takes sustained investment, a bit of patience, and an absolute commitment to the creative interdisciplinary process. What areas of research coming out of Canada's universities and academic institutions are you personally most excited about? Well, I'm really excited about one particular topic, and I've actually committed a pretty good fraction of my own research to this topic now. And so that is taking carbon dioxide. There's a lot of that. It's being emitted from our steel plants and our cement plants and various fossil fuel-based factories. Taking that carbon dioxide, combining it with renewable electricity, and turning the sort of chemical input and the electrical input into something more valuable. One of the things we're making with this is fuels. So we're making methane, ethanol, and propanol. The other thing we're doing is we're making chemicals. So we're making ethylene, ethylene glycol. Taking ethylene glycol as one example, it's about a $20 billion global industry. It's one that commands very good margins. Uh, it goes into a lot of the materials science sector And today it comes from fossil sources and it has a significant carbon footprint. So I'm very excited about working with teams and the teams have to be really quite multidisciplinary and multi-person. They have engineers and physicists and chemists and computer scientists on them. Uh, and in these teams, we strive to come up with more and more efficient, more and more productive systems known as electrolyzers for turning CO2 into value. Do you have any message for uh, the Canada Council of the Arts, the Killam Prize, and perhaps even other winners? Um, anything um, to that effect? So I'd like to thank the Killam Prize and the Canada Council for the Arts for celebrating the great work that goes on in the country. And I'd like to know that the uh, Killam Prize uh, values and appreciates work from across the disciplines, and that it's equally important to be investing. Of course, I've been talking today about Uh, physical sciences and engineering, because it's what I do for a living. But it's just as important that we be investing, as the Canada Council for the Arts through the Killam Prize has been doing, in outstanding scholarship in the humanities, in the social sciences, and of course in the life sciences. It's really when we invest in these platforms and we find the connections between them 
that we have true uh, economic benefit, but also societal benefit at the same time. If you had to pitch someone or a group with some influence, let's say, on the future of Canada's economy, and in particular, Canadian excellence in research, who would you choose to pitch and what would you say in 30 seconds or less? I pitch the prime minister and I'd say that we are faced with a pretty big opportunity right at the moment. It's to address simultaneously our economic challenges and to address also our environmental challenges. Clean tech is going to be a $5 trillion industry in a couple of decades, and it's going to keep growing. And it's a great opportunity to deal simultaneously with both of these problems through outstanding investments in science and its translation. This interview and the Celebrating Canadian Research Excellence series are presented by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Killam Trust and produced by thefutureeconomy.ca.